and the message is unashamed of the power of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the power of the gospel. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It is our text and it is the point of what I'm trying to say. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the, to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, understand what this says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is not the gospel. He preaches the gospel. This gospel is something uh, outside of us, yet in us, apart from us, but with us. Um, we're not the gospel. The gospel comes from God, but he uses us to bring it as vessels to a dying world. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he says this, what is the gospel? It is what? The power of God. It's in red there. That was a cue for you. That's right. The power of God. The power of God. This gospel is the power of God. It's not just a story. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. It's not some uh, uh, historical ideas. It is in fact the power of God Himself embedded in this historical account, this story, this person, the one Jesus Christ. The power of God is the Gospel because it can bring salvation and deliverance. The power, the word dunamos, the word for power, it's where we get the word dynamite, it's explosive. But what I love about the definition of this word is it is the power residing in a thing by virtue of that thing's nature. So what's the thing that this power is talking about? God Himself. It's the power of God. So the power of God resides in Him by virtue of His nature. So the gospel is the power of God or the nature of God. Literally, this good news that we preach is God in person. Let me put it to you this way. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love that. God didn't send a, uh, uh, another prophet. God didn't send another letter. God didn't send someone else. God came Himself. This gospel was brought by God Himself. It's His power. It's His nature. And when you bring that gospel to someone, you're bringing the presence, the person, and the identity of Christ to them. It's the power of God. This gospel. That's wonderful. We, we have deadened the gospel. We've neutered its power into something to simply be an idea and a suggestion and a track and maybe we can worm our way into a conversation with it. Can I tell you it is the very presence of Christ that when you share this gospel either in word or deed that it is the person of Christ that you're representing. It's Him. He comes personally. He came personally 2,000 years ago. He came to your heart's door whenever you got saved and He'll come personally to anybody else you share this good news with. He shows up. That's what I love about this gospel. It's the power of God. Don't ever fear that you didn't present it well enough, you didn't get it right enough if you would share the Word of God, if you would share the hope of Christ and the love of Christ and the promise. He'll show up and He'll do something with it. It's not our best effort. It's Him all the way. You didn't save anybody. God used you. He can use a stick. He can use you. He can use anything. 
God will do that. So what is this gospel? What is this good report of Jesus? Well, Jesus said it himself. He said in Isaiah 61, when he was in the book of Luke, he, he was beginning his ministry. He came into Jerusalem and Judea. He, he came into the synagogue and they said, hey, Jesus, Rabbi, here, have a scroll, read it for us. And so he pulls out Isaiah 61. It goes much deeper than that, but I'm going over it quickly. And he begins to read. And so this defines what this gospel is. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. He closed the scroll, sat down, and said, today this is fulfilled in your sight. Whoa! He showed up. And when he showed up, he said, the very power, the very nature of all of God's presence is in me bodily. I'm here. I'm your answer. And he does that through you, with you, when we preach this gospel to anyone else in this world. Because he's coming by in person to set someone free, give sight to the blind, and release those captives who are bound. That's the power of this gospel. Now, I want to give you a case study of this power because what I believe is God wants to recover the power of the gospel back to the church once again. We saw it in the Reformation. The gospel was almost lost during the Dark Ages. It was lost to Johann Tetzel in the selling of indulgences. It was lost to a doctrine of theology that was a doctrine of works. The Bible was taken out of the hands of people. It became the dark ages because it was chained to a pulpit. No one understood the word. But the Reformation brought the word back again that it is by faith. It's always been by faith. Sola Scriptura. It's only the word of God. And it's only by faith that we're saved. And he restored the gospel. He restored the gospel again in the 20th century by the outpouring of his Holy Spirit throughout the world as it's moving and manifesting. And I believe in these last days he wants to restore the power of the gospel to its full unction and full stature and presence of Christ. I mean, if Ephesians 4.11 says that the body of Christ is to grow into the full stature of Jesus, that means he should be well represented in all aspects. Would you agree? Thank you. So here's my case study, the book of Thessalonians. This book was dynamite. This, this church was amazing. This is your model church. When Paul went to Thessalonica, he was overwhelmed by the reception there of what happened by God's Spirit. And I believe this is the case study for the end times church. Isn't it interesting that 1 Thessalonians is about the end times? And it's about having a right understanding of the resurrection or uh, when Christ will return. And so in that book and in that study, we find that uh, Paul had this marvelous move and outpouring of God. In Acts 17, he's moving through. He hears the Macedonian call. He's moving north, and he begins, uh, Luke tells us that now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Went into a synagogue and reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Took him three Sabbath days. What day is the Sabbath on? Saturday. And when you have three Saturdays, you have what? Three weeks. weeks. You people are sharp. You are good. First service, they didn't get it that quick. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> three weeks. Can you start a church in three weeks? Absolutely. You can start a church in a day, in a moment, when Christ is present. Can you imagine a church started in three weeks? After three weeks of reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, they got furious with him, they got angry with him, they started a riot, and he had to leave that city. And his fear was, and this is why he wrote the book of Thessalonians, when you read it, his fear was, is this church still standing? Are they still alive? Great persecution broke out against those believers, and he's wondering, oh my gosh, is this church going to make it? So he sends Timothy back. He says, Tim, check them out. See if they're still there. Tim comes back with a great report. They're doing fantastic. Their faith is alive. And Paul says their fame is throughout all the provinces that this church is on fire. So what happened? How did Paul ignite this church when Colossians had its problems, Galatians had its problems, but not Thessalonica? He says this when he wrote to them. This is the explanation. We know, brothers that you are loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It is my belief that when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ is these three elements. And when the church moves in the restoration of these three elements, we are going to see the power of the gospel come with great force once again in this land. It's not too late. It's never too late where the gospel's concerned. And so we're going to look at these three points for the power of the gospel. The first one is the word. He came preaching the Word of God, but not just the Word of God as you know it. We, t- we, we take advantage of this opportunity. We have a New Testament. When he expounded in the Scriptures in the synagogue, did he have any reference to the New Testament? No, he was the New Testament. <laughs> it was in him. There was no New Testament. So what's he using for Scripture? The Old Testament. He's expounding in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in the prophets, in the Psalms. He's speaking from Genesis. He's explaining to them the mysteries of God that were hidden in the Word of God. The Word of God is a book of revelation knowledge, revelation power. It is the Word becoming flesh among us. It is the Word manifesting. That's the power of the spoken Word. It is not left to just your reasoning and your ability. Peter tells us we should have a reasoned defense for the gospel, but it's not just your ideology, theology, and ability to speak. It is the presence of God being revealed that does it. The gospel being preached. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter 1.19. I'm going to give you a number of scriptures. You can write them down, read them later, because we're going to go flying right now. 2 Peter 1.19, he says, Peter said, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What does he mean by that? We've got the word of God, that Old Testament, come alive. We've got it confirmed. The Genesis reference to the seed of the woman, know him, saw him, touched him. Psalm dead, psalm rise, we have a more fully realized prophetic word. That's why on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is that. What's the that he's talking about? Joel chapter 2. You got everybody speaking in tongues in all the languages of the then known world, running out into the streets, proclaiming God's goodness. People are going, what's this? Peter says, this is that. 
What is the that? Joel chapter 2. This is that. He's got a more sure word of Joel. This isn't just a promise. This is the deal, the real thing, right here. That's what you have. That's what made James stand up. In Acts chapter 15, Peter's saying, hey, we went to Cornelius' house. He's an Italian guy. We went there. We thought, pasta, maybe. I don't know. I preached. The guy started speaking in tongues. The spirit fell. Everybody saved. James stands up and said, hey, this is that. What's the that? Amos 9.9, the tabernacle of David being restored. That's the prophecy of Amos. Do you see what's happening This more sure word of prophecy is the fulfillment of everything that's taking place. Paul's saying, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to you the fulfillment of things. Isaiah said this about Israel. He said this about the Savior. Jesus did that on the road to Emmaus with the two other guys. You remember that? He's resurrected body. They're weeping. Oh, Jesus is dead. We don't know what to do. He says, let me tell you, I am that. (laughs) I am that. He took him through Moses, through the Psalms, through the prophets, and he said, all that was concerning him. He showed up. I'm that. When you witness with this gospel, it has the power of revelation. Not only are you revealing the hidden things of God, but it begins to reveal people's hearts. This word is alive. It's revelatory. It is powerful. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 1. This is how one should regard us, the apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What are those mysteries? The mysteries are the prophetic word hidden in the Old Testament that have now been fulfilled in Christ and through this dispensation. We're stewards of those mysteries. This isn't just uh, saying something to convince someone. This is speaking what was hidden in God's heart for ages. Paul says this in Colossians 1.26. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mysteries hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints. Do you hear what he's saying? We are now given the full revelation of God that was hidden. That's us. That's our opportunity to give the full revelation, that which was hidden. Do you understand that you know more than King David understood? You have more of an anointing and understanding of God's work than Isaiah, than Ezekiel, than Jeremiah, than all those fellas. What was hidden, latent in the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies has now all been revealed by the Spirit to us, His people. That's the power of this gospel. We've got to get excited about it again. We've got to rediscover the reality of this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He hid these things. See, people read that the, the seed of the woman would destroy the serpent's head. We don't, we don't have to try and figure that out. We know who it is. It's Jesus. Right? Uh, Moses in the wilderness struck the rock. Water came from the rock. We don't have to figure out what's the rock. Why do you hit it? Where's the water? It's Jesus. Jesus is the rock. We know that. He's the provision. He's the water. The cloud that covered them as they're going through Egypt and as they're they're walking into the wilderness, uh, Paul tells us that cloud, that's Jesus. 
Let me put it to you this way. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's Jesus in Genesis, it's Jesus in Exodus, it's Jesus in Leviticus, it's Jesus in Numbers, it's Jesus in Isaiah, it's Jesus in Ezekiel, it's Jesus in Jeremiah, and you know him. The mystery's revealed. But do we carry it with that much unction and excitement? We need to get back to it. Look at John, go, Paul goes on. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> Satan, the demons, they, they didn't understand any of this. Why? God hid it. He hid it in all of his prophecies. He hid it in all of his words that he gave to Israel and gave to his people. I love that. He had a, he had a file, a secret file that he's downloading. Right? It was in the cloud. And he's downloading it now into his people, Israel. They were, the, they were the, uh, uh, the storage unit that he was downloading all the promises of Abraham. The promises of Abraham didn't end with Abraham. They go all the way from Abraham until Christ returns. All the promises are all the promises of Abraham. That's why it took all those years. God had so many promises to make. And what he would do is he would secretly embed them into the information. The devil didn't see it. The devil didn't know it. Because what would happen is Israel would fail God's law. He would have to spank them and get after them and tell them they did wrong. And then he would give them a promise that if they could live right, he would promise to give them the land. He would promise to bless them. He would promise to do this. Devil didn't worry about the promises because he knew they could never keep the law. But he's just downloading and embedding all these promises in his will and testament. And the devil didn't know that when he would kill Jesus, it's the only way to unlock a will. There's got to be a death to enact a will. And so when Jesus went to the cross and died and declared, it is finished, and the devil screamed, no! And the veil was ripped in two, and all the promises of God became yes and amen and enacted for all of us. It was hidden. If he knew it, he never would have done it. But he opened up every promise of God so that no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes in Christ Jesus to the amen of the church. That's our word. I'm not just preaching some gospel. I'm preaching promises. I'm preaching hope and a future. I'm preaching life instead of death and condemnation. That's the power of the gospel to transform people. I'm not done with Paul yet. Paul goes on to say this. But as it was written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And we close the book and we stop and go, isn't that a beautiful sermon? Isn't that a beautiful verse about heaven? No eye can see, no heart could even imagine, no mind can tell what God's got for us. Someday over the blue, by and by, I'll fly away. That's not what that verse means. That verse doesn't mean heaven. Read the rest of it. It says this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things He has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches the very depths of God. What Paul is saying is those were the mysteries hidden. No one could imagine that the salvation wasn't going to be from Rome, but in fact from sin and death in the grave. Who could have thought that God was going to save us eternally. Who would have thought that God would put His very nature and spirit in us? Who would have thought of these things? And now it's revealed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. These are the mysteries of God. Listen, I'm telling you, this is crazy. 
This is good stuff. Let me share with you some of these mysteries. What they didn't understand is they didn't understand who Messiah was. They thought the Messiah was going to become a political savior and a king. Oh, he was a king all right, but not just king of Israel. He's king of Israel. He's king of Toledo. He's king of China. He's king of Brazil. He's king of, you name the nation, he's king. He's king of this universe, king of the world, king of all creation. They couldn't see that. That's why Jesus didn't use the title Messiah. He didn't deny he was Messiah. Of course he's Messiah. But they all thought the Messiah was a political leader. He used the term son of man. Because what they couldn't comprehend is not only is he going to be the Messiah and Savior, but he's also going to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And he's going to die for them. They couldn't figure that out. They didn't believe that. They couldn't get it because it was hidden. It was a hidden mystery that they couldn't comprehend. What they couldn't comprehend is that he's God in the flesh. When they said, are you the king? He said, oh, I'm the king. And he said, I'll be returning on clouds of glory. You'll see the Son of Man return. He's quoting Daniel 9. When the, when the Ancient of Days returns in the presence of God, he's God in the flesh. They couldn't. It's too hidden. No one could comprehend this. So the mysteries we preach is a Jesus bigger than anybody can comprehend. Do you know him? Anybody? Who is this Jesus of your gospel? How big is he? How great is he? Do you see what I'm saying with this word? There are so many hidden mysteries. You and I don't even know the half of who he is, but it's right here. It's been revealed. Not only that, but when you begin to see that he is divine fully God, fully man, now you've got another hidden mystery that Israel had no concept of, the Trinity. They didn't realize that God is great. There is only one God, but He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the economy of God's own nature is all of salvation and love wrapped up and demonstrated in salvation. They couldn't see it till the mystery was revealed and their eyes were opened to His majesty. Well, now when you begin to see that in the triunity of God, then you begin to realize that what Jesus accomplished was to remove sin so that God's own spirit could come and dwell in us. That was a mystery. No one really understood it. Moses cried out, Oh, if all people, all God's people could prophesy. That was a prayer that it was, he, it was hidden in there that was a prophetic of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. They did! Now there's an indwelling Holy Spirit. Nobody knew that was coming! But you do. Again, you have more knowledge than David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Solomon. You have more. Jesus said there's coming a time when God is seeking a people who will seek him in spirit and in truth. You have more truth and spirit than any man in the Old Testament ever did or any woman. That's us, folks. Do you understand that? You're looking scared. I hope you are. That, then what do you do with someone who's got the Holy Spirit dwelling in them? Now they're not just Israel, they're the church, they're the ecclesia, they're the ambassadors of God. Now they have all these promises to execute into the world. And so now there's the church. And if you have the church, what do you do with Israel? Oh, now you've got the end times understanding and now the mystery is revealed of what God's going to do with Israel and what God's going to do with his church. This doesn't stop. This is crazy. And so salvation is preached from faith to faith. It's always been by faith. That revelation comes forward. The church is one preaching it. It's growing. Israel is blind. That's a mystery. But now you have a revelation of the spirit realm. Now uh, Lucifer just isn't some object in the book of Job. Now you know that he is a power of the principalities of the air. He lives in the second heavens. And you understand that you have power and authority over him and his demons and that demonic force and how to tear them down and that you've disarmed him and that the church is warring against all of his works and can utterly defeat him and crush him beneath your feet. They didn't know that. You do. 
the mysteries of God, you know them. Don't you feel privileged? We were in darkness, but you know these things. There's a world out there that doesn't know any of this. So don't think that when you're sharing the gospel or you're sharing information that you're just sharing another age-old idea or principle or a, 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 you know, a myth, this and that. You're, you're bringing the depth of God's secret wisdom to a blind people that can set them free. Have confidence in this word. Last of all, then we begin to realize the end times, what God's going to do. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and all this. So I ask you, do we preach with the power of revelation? Or have we reduced this gospel and surrendered our teachings to opinions? We can't even call this a Christian doctrine anymore because you can't get a consensus among Christians as to what doctrine is. We don't even agree on the fundamentals anymore. you got half the Christians who don't believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit on, in this age. You have another group of people who don't believe that there is going to be a hell, uh, that, that everybody's going to get saved, universalism. You have another group of Christians who don't believe in the Trinity. How can you be a Christian and not believe in the Trinity? But that's the, that's the state of the church. We have to say we're biblical now because we can't say we're Christian because we don't know what that is. Christians don't even know what that is. These are the mysteries of God. And when this is accepted as the Word of God and when it is preached under the unction of God, it is revelatory. It is the presence of God that is the power of God to save souls. The second point he said is that when it comes in, he said not only did we preach the Word, but what did he also do? Bring the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. God is using His Spirit in the preaching and saving of people. Paul says this about himself. Paul was not that eloquent of a speaker. I mean, when you think about it, he, he was a rough and ready. He was a theologian. He was a teacher. He was kind of dry. Uh, he wasn't very elegant. He says this about himself. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. Huh. He, had the, he knew the mysteries. But he didn't put it in rapid and eloquent speech. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Well, right there is that mystery. You unfold that mystery, and then you've got the Trinity, then you've got eschatology, then you've got prophecy, then you've got all this mystery unfolded, don't you? All within Christ crucified. He said, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but the power of God. You want something flowery? You want something fancy? Call Apollos. The, God, the dude can talk. He's really good. But I'm going to give it to you straight. That's what Paul said. And he began to unleash the hidden mysteries of God. And people began to weep and people began to respond because what he said was backed up by the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He says, you be the mouthpiece and I'll bring it on. Look, you don't save anybody. You share the information and the Holy Spirit deals with them. He stirs them. He burns their heart. He ministers to their eyes. He removes the cataracts. He does the surgery. You just bring the Word. But the demonstration of the Spirit is what saves people. The writer of Hebrews says this, that how shall we escape this salvation? It was declared by Jesus, then attested to by the apostles, then God bore witness with signs and wonders and miracles by the gifts of the Spirit, 
that he distributes to everyone. So the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Spirit, miraculous signs, were given to prove this word is true. I believe God wants his word to be proven again. We've got to begin to have faith that what we preach is real. Take the risks. Begin to pray for healing. Begin to pray for deliverance. Begin to learn to trust God in His Spirit to manifest. Paul goes on and he says this in 1 Corinthians 1.7, I want to make sure that you're not lacking in any gift until Christ returns. So how long should the gifts of the Spirit last? Till Christ returns. Till the perfect comes. They're not going to go away. They didn't fade away. We need the Spirit today just as much as Paul did in his day. It's the demonstration of the Spirit of God that's coming. He says, earnestly covet, earnestly desire greater gifts. How many of you know that God wants you to have greater gifts? He said this, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more, I want all of you to prophesy. How are we doing with that? Then he says, but then I want to have you earnestly covet greater gifts. So the ground floor, the basics, he says, I want all of you to have them. Now, he's differentiating tongues from the gift of tongues and interpretation in the assembly. 1 Corinthians 14 explains that, that there's a prayer language under the unction of the Holy Spirit. That's not for the speaking of the edification of the body, it's for the edification of the individual. And by the way, what are they speaking between them and God? What was that? Mysteries. The hidden knowledge. There's hidden knowledge in you. When you begin to pray in tongues, when you begin to seek in your prayer language, there's hidden mysteries that God planted in you that need to come out and manifest. He said, I want you all to speak in tongues. So basically, everybody, we need to, we need to work on that. Everybody pray in tongues. And he said, I want all of you to prophesy. So everybody, we all need to prophesy. We need to learn how to do these things and move in the Holy Spirit. It's really simple. We make it really hard. And we doubt it always. All of you have heard from the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? You're here today. Anybody saved? Anybody here born again? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, you've heard from the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to hear God. Did He come on you and say, I will be your Savior if you say yes to me? No. But did He lead you into salvation? Yes. That's the same way you hear Him in anything else. It's that simple. We've made it so difficult. The body of Christ can hear God. The body of Christ can speak for God, prophesy, edify, exhort, comfort. This is what God wants us to do by His Holy Spirit. That's the power of the gospel. He said, it will be on your children and your children's children. Are any of you here children of children? Of children's children? Then it's for you too. That promise on the day of Pentecost. The ingredients of the church... Right? Pick up a cereal box, you read the back, it tells you what the ingredients are, right? Any product. You get that product, you read on the back of it, it's got sugar. (laughs) Right at the top. (laughs) Ah, this is from America. Sugar. (laughs) There's the list of ingredients, right? Well, what God said is pick up Mark 16. Pick up a believer. Pick anybody up. Pick a believer up. Pick them up. Turn them around. Look on the back. And what you'll see is this. These signs shall follow them. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall cast out demons. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall preach the gospel to the poor and give sight to the blind. That's our ingredients, everybody. That's our ingredients. Now, the shelf life of this is till he returns. But you got to open it up and use the thing. You getting this? 
And that's what happened in Thessalonica, brothers and sisters. He began preaching this mystery, this revealed Word of God, and the power of the Spirit backed it up, and finally it brought what? Full conviction. Full conviction. Now this is interesting. This, this is the power that I believe has been missing for many centuries in the church. I thank God for the Word I thank God, you know, here we are Pentecostals. We love the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit. But then we got sophisticated. We all got our degrees. We went to the Bible colleges. We got our, our letters behind our names. Now we can preach the Word. No one understand the Word. Uh, hopefully we haven't given up on the things of the Spirit. Most Pentecostal churches have. Most Pentecostal churches have left the things of the Spirit because they're too messy and you can't control them. Can I give you one name? Uzzah. You don't know what that is. Uzzah was the guy who tried to steady the ark when King David was bringing it back to Zion and the ark was starting to fall. Uzzah held it in place and was instantly killed. That's what the Pentecostal churches, that's what we're doing with the gifts of the Spirit. We're trying to handle them. We're trying to gift wrap them. We're trying to make them. Hope nobody speaks in tongues today. It'll scare someone off. Hope there's not too much prophecy going on. I hope someone doesn't have an experience in God and screams. We don't like it. It's too untidy. And so we neuter the Holy Spirit and we make it, you know, fill out a sheet, say this, we'll do it over a microphone, we'll say this and that. It's ridiculous what we've done to the move of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? But yet we know the Holy Spirit. We know the Word. We know the Holy Spirit. But what's been lacking is this full conviction. And full conviction's messy. Can I give you the expectation that Paul had for the church? He saw it in Thessalonica. This is what happened in Thessalonica. He wrote it in 1 Corinthians when he was explaining the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is what I expect to happen. He said, if all of you would prophesy, and this is 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, if all of you prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he will be convicted by all, he'll be called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart will be disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God and declare that God is really in this place. And that's my favorite saying, really in this place. You can go to a lot of churches and we all pretend God's in that place. I want to go to a church that when I leave, you go, God really was in that place. Don't you want a real presence of God? That was Paul's expectation. That wasn't just a, 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 an illustration. He's saying that's an expectation of the New Testament church. That when the revelatory word of God is manifest by the power of God, it should bring what? Full conviction. And that's how a church was birthed in three weeks. So I use this reference because I don't know how many of you know who Jonathan Edwards was. One of the greatest revivalists of America, of the United States in the 1700s. One of the greatest intellects of the church. Uh, an amazing man. Uh, uh, reformed brother. Well, what happened is I was in Connecticut last week sharing this message about full conviction. And I was sharing about Jonathan Edwards, his most famous sermon that began the Great Awakening. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Don't know if you've ever read it. It's a pretty moving and powerful declaration. And the interesting thing about Jonathan Edwards is he purposely did not use voice uh, inflections and rising and stirring with his speech and movement like I do. 
uh, I stoop to that. <laughs> I get excited. He was very tempered, and he was very monotone when he spoke. But what he did was he was a word crafter. He would craft illustrations uh, to bring pictures into people's minds of what this truth of God revealed meant. And he would illustrate it, but he would speak in a very monotone voice. And he wrote the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached it at his church on a Sunday morning. And he delivered this message about an hour long. And as he preached this message, do you know what happened? Nothing. 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 Uh, So Edwards later on was on a break, and he's going further in Connecticut. And this is why I bring all that up, is I was 40 miles away in uh, Waterford, Connecticut on Friday preaching this message uh, when only 40 miles away was the spot where Jonathan Edwards preached a second time, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I wanted to feel something in the soil. I wanted to still feel that. (laughs) To know I was so close to where it actually happened. He, they asked him to be the guest speaker at their church. The pastor was on vacation. They said, hey, Johnny, you want to come speak? He said, sure, I'll come speak. And he said, I'll pull out my old sermon. He pulled out his sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. I'm sure there was much more prayer that went into it and probably much more spiritual than I just said. But he began to speak that message, bringing that revelation of God's Word, the power of God manifested in that place, and full conviction fell. You see, conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. We can't trump it up. We can't stir it up. We can get some music to kind of dance it up. We can get people to get all goofy to make it move, but conviction is a reality of God's work. He began to speak in his monotone voice, and there began to move a quaking among the people, a stirring All of a sudden, there was whimpering. There was crying. People began busting loose under the conviction of this Word of God. People began to shake and shudder under the idea that they were under the power and the condemnation of God's holiness. They began to fall out of their pews into the aisles because they couldn't sit on a chair. People were holding on to the pillars and the poles in that room because they were afraid they couldn't stand under the conviction and the weight of God. And the great awakening began and it began to spread throughout Connecticut and New York and New England and it changed the very course of American history and if you think that tea being thrown into the water at Boston Harbor was the catalyst for the revolution it was not it was the unction and conviction of the Holy Spirit from the pulpits of New England that were preaching holiness unto God that's what changed this nation And it's the only thing that will change this nation once again. The full conviction of being under the Word of God. And I close with this. I've went long, but I needed this recording. (laughs) I'm not making any money off of it, so don't get that idea. But listen, when I prepared this message to speak to pastors throughout the United States, he really impressed upon me that this is a prophetic word. That this third element of the move of God is on its way. It's on its way. (laughs) 
Can I put it to you this way? Jonathan Edwards would be proud of me. It's like a freight train that already left the station. It's not going to stop. It is on its way. It's been released from the throne, and it is coming. So the word the Lord told me to talk to these pastors about is, pastors, people, Christ community, are you ready to handle a move of full conviction? What are we going to do, church, when people begin to come under the full conviction of God's Holy Spirit? What are we going to do when He begins calling out sin? When people run to the altar wanting freedom from sin. When people begin weeping next to you. Begin falling out and blubbering because they cannot take another minute of being bound by the addiction they're in. And they want liberty and freedom. You know, it's messy. The reason we don't like it is because it's noisy, it's messy, it's sloppy, your mascara runs, your pretty hair, your comb over will go bad, your, your tie will get messed up, snot will run down your nose, our new carpet will get soiled. Bring it on, God, bring it on. This is the power of the gospel. What, to make people uncomfortable? Absolutely. We've put God in a box in our back pocket and we pull Him out when we need something. We use Him like a cell phone. He is the Lord of glory. Do we want to keep people in that place? No, we want to bring them into freedom. We want to bring them into liberation. But they must come under the full conviction of God. We don't want to control this. We don't want to program it. We don't want to develop it. We want it to come. And we want to steward what God would have us to do in love. Will you come back when there's that kind of commotion? Will you come to church thinking, I'm bringing a box of Kleenex with me? Because I don't know who's on my left or right, but they're going to need it. Will you come knowing that God, would you anoint my hands as you're driving here? Jerry's ready. As you're driving here, will you say, God, use me today? Someone's going to need deliverance from heroin. Someone's going get to get off a crack today. They're going to need to get deliverance. Someone's in adultery, and I've got to help them get free. God, will you give me the words to pray over them? When I touch and lay hands, will your unction come? That's having full conviction to be used of God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what's coming. A church in full stature, in full array, without spot or wrinkle. It's coming. Look at the church isn't going to look like the New Testament church of Acts one we don't know what it's going to look like because we can't see to when christ returns that was that was a match lit this is a bonfire that's the church in diapers this is the church full stature and fully grown this is what's coming and i would ask you brothers and sisters are you ready are we ready let's get ready